What up, dude? Rodiola. Wait, ravioli? Rodiola. Rodiola. Not ravioli. You know how I like my adapt you know how I like my adaptogens. Mm-hmm. It's an adaptogen. And it does <laughs> adaptogenic things like regulating heartbeat and stress management and cell protection. You gotta protect those telomeres, man. That's how you uh, age mm. with longevity. Memory, learning. Age age with longevity. That's what it is. Welcome back to the More Uncommon Podcast. I We're am here. your host Keith. You're here. I'm the other guy, Rodney. We're the compassion guys. We're anchoring humanity in, in compassionate conversation. And when you think about compassion, here's a, here's a nice frame. Compassion is is giving people the benefit of the doubt, giving the moment the benefit of the doubt. You'll hear Devin say this later in the conversation today, and I just wanted to steal it because I've run out of ways to say it, and I just want to say what our guests say because they're amazing. And Keith, we have this amazing conversation with Devin. What did you take out of it? What, what should people listen for? Devin Larkins, the reality about compassion there are some tricks and tactical things you can actually do. And one of those things is listening and listening is hard and we hear a lot about it. And Devin shines some really good functional things that he does to make sure that he's listening and giving people benefit of the doubt. And the thing about compassion to your point, Rodney is we don't always have to be conscious of it. It is certainly not something that you are with or without, but um, you can live it even if you don't think about it. And Devin is one of those people who doesn't think about it, but he lives it. He exudes it. He embodies it. And um, he's, he's a good soul. And we talk about a lot of things from parenting to calling people lazy to justice and the progress that has been made. So, And I, yeah. I would say that if, if you're wondering why you would want to listen, if you're a father specifically, I think there's some great advice. If you're a parent in general, there's some really good just advice for raising a young person to be their own person not just a copy of you or or not a not a non-self thinking being self-evaluation uh, if you're into that and trying to better yourself that is there's some things we get into we talk about laziness and what it is what it isn't and i think there's some pretty insightful thoughts shared there other than that yeah. just get into it just go it's going to be Check fun. Out some other episodes. Hey, and share it. If you like it, share it. Share it. Comment. Let's get this mission of compassionate conversation into more ears together. Go to our website, moreincommonent.com, so we can find all things podcast and consulting. If you have an organization or know of an organization that's trying to find ways to be more diverse, more inclusive, and they, they can't figure it out. They don't know what's going on. We have some ideas. We know what's going on. Hit us up. Hit us up. On to the show. Especially with my daughter, like, it's, you know, I realize, and I'm trying to be very aware of it, like, that she is a person, too. And I particularly, I think, with parents, like, like parents don't treat kids like they're people at all. Like, it's like we're just giving them all this information, especially, you know, it's, it's and I think it's changing as the time's going along, but... I definitely have those moments where I have to realize that like, oh, I'm over talking to her and like, 
you know, she doesn't need to listen. Like, it's just okay, you know, and like things can just be, or I hear her thoughts. Well, also too, with my daughter, she has open reign to ask me why for anything. No matter what I'm telling her, she can always ask me why. Today, we are with Devin Larkins. Devin is a proud native of Detroit, Michigan, where he learned the importance of getting better, working hard, never quitting, and most importantly, never stop learning. Devin is an HBCU graduate of Lane College, where you are taught to believe in the power of potential. Devin comes from a recruiting background, helping to hire, build, and scale tech companies from startups and now FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet's Google companies, taking on the philosophy of treating each person like they are the only one who is working with. Believing there is more to a person than what is on the lines of a resume, he looks for what is in between those lines, and that is how you find gems. Two phrases to sum up Devin, learn from whomever you meet and connect with, and get 1% better each day. Devin, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. It is nice to be here. Uh, Yeah, happy to be here. (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you. So to start off all these conversations, as we asked you in the lead up, a tip to navigating difficult conversations. And we've had a guest on who studies listening for a living, to which was your answer was to listen. And he informed us of the 46 different ways that have been studied that people listen. So listening is such a complicated, as easy as sometimes it seems like it should be, it is incredibly complicated. What is your tip or way? I shouldn't say tip. What is the way that you will go about making sure that you're listening to what other people are saying? So I think like from the physical point, like sometimes I just bite my, literally bite my lips. So it stops my urge to want to talk, you know, and interject. I think that's the first thing that I do. But then after that, like I shut off the voice in my head because I guess pretty much, you know, pretty much when we're talking, we're always thinking and there's a voice in my head that's waiting to, you know, talk. So I just literally shut it off and listen to every word that they're saying, like word by word, like I'm, they'll say a word and I'm thinking that word. Um, mm. and the, but those are the two things I, I definitely do. And then I just take a pause because I realize that when people are talking, they pause, you know, it's always pauses. And then sometimes people wait, you know, like, Oh, I got a brief second. Let me just say something right there. So then I'll just pause. So sometimes it'll be like a, uh, a lapse in time almost. It's just like a long, it feels like a long opera pause, but those are just a few things I do just to, you know, like listen more to what people are trying to say. How did you teach yourself to redirect your thinking to an attention on what they're saying? How did you, how did you do that? I guess just thought, you know, just think realizing that there was a voice inside of me that, you know, wanted to cut people off and just also just seeing people cut each other off as well. Um, and I mean, maybe it's, you know, because of my background or, you know, how I grew up or, people were always arguing for something and I just realized people, you know, weren't listening. So I just, maybe I think I just thought about it. I wish I could tell you there was like this moment when I came to that epiphany, but um, it kind of just came over time. Devin, when, so when you're in a conversation like this one, 
do you actually do you still notice when you're thinking and you redirect or is it just an automatic thing there are other times where you don't do it or is it pretty automatic for you now no i wouldn't say it's automatic um i do have to consciously do it still and i can tell that when i'm like more emotional about something i have to be really cognizant of it because then it's you know it's kind of like a at times it could feel like a fight so i have to like you know really redirect myself sometimes it does happen you know like naturally um but without it without a doubt like when i'm upset or just feeling emotional about something i have to really like bunker down and like focus on listening um it's interesting so you're very clear on these three things right and yet it wasn't some moment in time how long has this been part of your approach it sounds like it's been kind of for a for a pretty long time maybe even at an early age yes i would i mean as long as i can remember you know high school i mean i may as far as i can remember back as high school or even maybe younger than that um but like i guess when i kind of started to formulate it or you know consciously think about it was maybe sometime in college i think when i i was working at a GameStop. it's like like i mean not game game crazy um, similar to GameStop, but um, it was kind of like a sales role. So, you know, I always had to listen to people maybe, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, looking back further than that, sometime that happened in high school, maybe, or probably before that, I would say, but I, I, I wish I could say like pinpoint it to a moment, but it just, it always been there mm. to some extent. Did you have a question there, Rodney? More of a comment. I just think it's a, it's just fascinating how aware of it you are. I think I've become more aware of it recently in the past four or five years and it is constant i think i'm i'm at a place right now where when i don't do it or i don't do it well i beat myself up but it's helpful hearing uh hearing your journey with it yeah i think it's um i think it's awesome how intentional you are about it because and it is one of those things that is incredibly difficult we all know i'll listen more and i think it is fairly common in conversation or in media, a lot of things out there, but it is difficult, as you said, especially when you're fired up, um, when you get really triggered. I'm curious, as you say that, like, what are some of the things that trigger you the most that make it most challenging for you to, uh, to listen? I hate, I mean, yeah, I really dislike, (laughs) you know, I hate it. Actually, I hate when people cut me off. And, you know, not so much... In a car or while talking? Oh, no, no, no. Like, in a conversation... Oh, you're talking about in general? I thought you were talking about within conversation. No, no, no. I, w- I just wanted to make sure when you said cut you off, I, I, as oh. I'm cutting you off to, to clarify <laughs> the point, I'm just making sure it's not in a car or versus no, in a conversation. see if I can yeah. piss you off. <laughs> can yeah. I trigger you right now? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, but it's not like, it's not like that because, you know, it makes sense why you would want to clarify, but like when I feel yeah. like people are intentionally cutting me off and I think the reason why is because I feel like they have a lack of respect or lack of uh, care about what I'm saying. So almost it feels like I'm being ignored at the same time too. And that's particularly one of the things I hate when I'm talking and people are ignoring me. Those two things kind of drive me insane. And they, I think that cutting part, when you cut people off, it's kind of a signal that like you're being ignored and it, it drives me crazy. So it's funny because one of my really good friends, he was like, I had no idea that you felt that way. Uh, we were just having this general conversation about things that we hate. 
And he was like, I had no idea you felt that way because people cut you off all the time. And I was like, yeah, no, I just, a lot of things I think about, it's like, it's just not important to say, you know, at that moment, because it's like, whatever. So it's a lot of me pulling myself back at times. So this, that goes to my question. People cut us off all the time. Is there, does it matter who's doing it for you, for either of you? Yeah. Anyone that cuts me, and it's for any situation, anyone who could cut me off, it would be, that would be annoyed by it. Even like when my daughter kind of cuts me off when I'm talking, I'll get annoyed by it. Uh, and it depends on the situation. I'll just say like, sometimes I will actively say after they finish talking, I didn't hear anything that you just said because you didn't let me finish my statement, which is being a little, uh, uh a little feisty, petty, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyone can cut me off and it would be annoying. But it's also probably true from a brain side. Like if you're, if, because if you get turned on, if you get activated by someone not listening, then you probably don't physically hear what they're saying. Cause you're like, seriously, like you're yeah. in your head at that point. Keith, do you have an, do you have a feeling about being cut off? Uh, for me, it depends on how it's being done. Like mm-hmm. if it is, it really is one of those, if you're in the middle of a train of thought and someone just either changes the topic or jumps in and continues saying something else. Maybe it is one of those moments of pause. And it's like, I I haven't finished my thought. It does have that feeling of, for me, the feeling is you're just not listening to me. Like you actually don't care about what I'm saying. Now I'm irritated. (laughs) It happens most at home and with those who I'm closest with. I don't find it happens too often with people that I don't have a close relationship with. So that adds to the annoyance because it's like they're the closest people in your life. So you're naturally inclined to be annoyed with them anyway, in some way. For, for well, some reason, right? something about because I just had this last night with my wife and I, like we got into a little bit and we both were just like, yo, I need a second. Like she got mad before me and she needed a minute. And then I got mad after, and then I needed a minute, but in between, there was a moment of conversation and the cutoff thing happened. And as I'm thinking about this, I too, Keith, have had like the shame thing where like, why am I more mad at my family than I would be some stranger doing this to me? Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's not equal. Like what happened was when she cut me off, I got hurt because I was trying to convey like the situation to me was very important. And there was something I was trying to say. And like of anybody on the planet that I want to listen is her. So right. when she decided, when she cut me off, which I don't think she did it to hurt me, but it hurt. And so that what I, is what I've realized is the thing that will set me off is like when I get hurt and I've always, and I've always thought it was like the cutting off or like the uses of a word. And it's like none of those things. It's just how I, how it imprints upon me. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It's that feeling of, Devin, you said it, disrespect. It's the feeling that sentiment has on you for whatever reason that ultimately comes about. I, I, I align more on the, on the hurt. Like, are you just not listening to me because you don't want to hear me? Like, do you just not care what I have to say? Because I'm trying to share something with you or I'm trying to express something and then I completely get turned off, turned away. And that's what it feels like, even though that's not it. You know, Mm -hmm. my wife is an extreme extrovert. She thinks out loud. 
And some people say, I think out loud, like literally, if you've ever been around someone who actually thinks out loud, it's really confusing because you don't know if you're in a conversation or not. Yeah. And that's my wife. And, and like, I, I just inherently respond all the time. And eight years later, I still respond all the time. And it's like, are you the, thinking out loud? You know, the most helpful thing in the world is, was that for me? I just ask now because I, I don't, I just don't know. Like, are, was that for me or mm, I like that it saved me a lot. You know what I realized too, or I read somewhere, uh, Jordan, Jordan Peterson, the clinical psychologist, I don't know if you all have ever heard of him, but his books are great. He says that people don't think unless they're actually talking. Most people can't really think in their mind. So they have to talk to get these thoughts out. And, you know, and I think that's what's happening a lot of times, like when we get cut off, maybe that people just trying to think through these issues and they just have to say it out loud. So it's not, I understand it's not a time, not even about me or them, you're not caring about what, how I feel about the situation or anything like that. It's just, they're trying to get these thoughts out because it might not come back anymore, you know? So, which is like, um, almost a fear of loot. Like I, there's some, what's coming forth from my mouth is pure genius. And for <laughs> you to interrupt this might mean yeah. that this genius may never come forth because I may lose it. Exactly. Which is like a real fear. Like it's it's kind of messed up, but it's like, but it's real. How do you how do you resolve it? Like when you get cut off by a coworker or family member, do you just let it go? Do you engage? Do you get pissed? Like what happens? How do you how do you deal with it? Nine times out of ten, I'm gonna let it go. Because I understand it's not about me. You know, it's most things in this world aren't about the person that's being done to. It's about the person that's doing the thing. So I'm really aware of that. So most of the time I let it go because there's just no point because I'm, you know, always trying, my goal in life is always to focus on getting what I really want. And I always don't have to be right in the moment. At the same time, it's like, I always focus on being right instead of getting it right. So I think at times, like if I were to engage and, you know, let them know that I'm upset about them cutting me off, which most time I'm not, but you know, it's like me just trying to be right in the moment and I don't have to be right in the moment. I want to get it right, you know, down the road or, you know, in the next minute or so. So what does that look like from a response standpoint? Like you, you, so sometimes you'll just, will you ever say like that bothered me or that like, I would like to finish this statement or like, what does that actually look like as you're trying to get it right? Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it depends on, you know, the amount of times that it happened like back to back. And then I'll, you know, just say like, Hey, like you cut me off. Or sometimes I will have to say, Hey, I'm still talking, <laughs> you know, so them to realize, and you know, most people, you know, will take it in like, Oh, you know, like my fault, you know, or my bad. Um, most of the time, but you know, those times where it's like, you're saying, Keith, you're close to the people closest to you. They don't care about that. They'll still keep on going. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I kind of do to try to, get it to make them aware of that because people have to be made aware because people just don't know sometimes yeah it really reflects the nature and i think both of you are shining a light on the impact of ego in conversation and how much like, i mean as you said it Devin, it's not about me um it's about the other person wanting to make a point or not losing that point because in that moment that point is the thing for them and they need to get that out or explore it right. or say something about it and it really is a challenge like it, it can be a challenge just to let that go with that like us all being fathers like i sense it i get it a lot when i'm talking to my daughter and like 
she's ideas and thoughts and she she interjects and we taught her how to say excuse me so she's just like that's my golden ticket like i'll just and say excuse me and then can i get your attention can i get your attention can i get your attention not right now can i get it now <laughs> and then when that's happening i go through this like i mean it depends what my mood is what my sleep was all this kind of stuff but sometimes it's like no listen child and then i i'm like wait what no that's just like the framework that I grew up with, like she doesn't need to just listen because it's only like, I don't know, there's only a handful of times when we're talking and she does that, that like she actually needs to listen. Like there's something imperative, like we do need to leave right now or you need to not step in that street or you're going to run into that. But the rest of the time, it's like, why, why do I need to talk right now? And that is a whole like ego trip that is just wild to be on. Y'all ever experience anything like that? Definitely, especially with my daughter, like it's you know I realize, and I'm trying to be very aware of it, like that she is a person too, and I particularly I think with parents, like like parents don't treat kids like they're people at all. Like it's like we're just giving them all this information, especially you know it's it's and I think it's changing as the time's going along, but I definitely have those moments where I have to realize that like oh I'm over talking to her and like you know, she doesn't need to listen. Like, it's just okay. You know, and like things can just be, or, you know, I hear her thoughts. Well, also too, with my daughter, she has open reign to ask me why for anything, no matter what I'm telling her, she can always ask me why. And like my idea behind it is like, I don't ever want her to blindly follow anybody, whether it be a man, some religion or some boss or something like people have to explain why, because you have to understand, which in the same time too, that, it start making me think more because she would ask me why. And um, she was like, particularly untie, I always say untie your shoes when you take them off. And she was like, why? And I couldn't think of a good reason why. And I had to, the uh, only thing I could think of was well, my dad told me that. And like, that was not, it wasn't good enough reason. So I was like, eh, you know, have at it. You know, I don't care. Which fast forward five years, I just figured out why that it is important. So your shoes will be prepped by the time you can put them on next time. But we haven't crossed that bridge yet again. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> no, I think that that's such an important tool. Like I, I never, I love when my daughter, my oldest at this point, asks why constantly, because it challenges me to understand why I think something or why something may be into the whole question rod. Like absolutely, I especially have the why am I really, really irritated that you're ignoring me right now? Right? Like, can we just move fast? And uh, it's, it's always a struggle. It's, it's the hardest when things you like, we got to get going. Like we got to go to school or we got to go to the doctor or we got an appointment or we got somewhere to be or it's bedtime. And so like, I need you to get your dread. Like we, we've got all these things, but I, I try to regulate it when that's, when that's not the case and just, you know, let it be. Like, yeah, like there's... it, um, it reminds me of a side guru, two quotes. One, he said, a child is not a legacy, it's a life. And I think a lot of us treat children like they are like this. It's like, oh, it's the terrible name. Like you are, it's like, nah, it's a life. Like you said, it's a, it's a person, it's a human that's going to grow up and be their own thing. And then the other one is, uh, our job is not to determine what's possible and what's not possible. That's up to nature. Our job is to strive. Like, let them be what they're going to be. It, it, it was a fascinating conversation because he was talking about like this concept of trying to not imprint any of 
try not to imprint anything on them other than letting them discover mm. who they are, which is almost impossible. I actually, I would, I would go as far to, it is impossible. Yeah. But it's like, how do you teach with the same time teaching how to evaluate? And I think that's one of the things my parents did really well is like, they let us question, even if they shut us down it's like, no, no, no. Like we just believe that it's like, we were allowed to question and have a thought on things most of the time. And, um, you said something a little, a few minutes ago around people who were always arguing, you said, so what was, what was that? What was that like? Like, what was that experience? I want to take this into how you parent your daughter. Um, cause I'm, I, I want to go down the parenting dad route here for a minute in a minute. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, when I say, you know, I don't think people listen growing up like my parents didn't like, um, and then I was also the youngest of my brother and I. So, you know, that's, it's a, younger sibling complex as well, which I'm not saying that is not true, but yeah, I don't think that people listen, you know, to me all the time. And definitely people, when I did say something, people thought that it was like wrong or way off irrational, you know, almost with, no, actually what people would say that it would be irrational. So even when I did talk and people would listen, it would be like, oh no, that's crazy or whatever, which is really interesting and funny because it, you know, in some ways it, it made me feel like, uh, I was wrong, you know, for one, um, but two, that I just wasn't connected, you know, to people, but particularly my grandmother, she always listened to me. Um, and uh, even my mother say now, like I used to just wake up talking like all the time, like wake up in the morning and just start talking, uh, which I would tell my, my wife said I did do the same thing. Um, and it's just natural. I don't know. Um, but when I was to that argument part or the, yeah, the argument, people are always ar- arguing either like my brother and I, my parents, or just people around me in the neighborhood. Cause I didn't grow up in this really amazing neighborhood. I grew up on, on the east side of Detroit, like on Seven Mile. And what they call it now is like the red zone. <laughs> um, one reason, because it was at some point, it was like the most people in America had got killed in that zip code. So it was just a lot of chaos, seeing people arguing all the time kind of thing. So it's just something I always seen. And I could hear people go back and forth. I'm like, well, they're just not listening to that person. Um, and sorry for this long winded answer. I'm sorry. No, no, it's um, good. Good answer. But then how I kind of flip all that, you know, to with my daughter is that I always try to hear her when she say things. I always ask her, what does she want? And, or not always ask her what she wants, but I try to make that, a, you know, like an active thing where I just want her to talk. Um, and she actually told me a, a few years ago, she was like, Dad, I, I love, she said something like, you always, I can always talk to you. And I, I felt great about that because it was like, I feel like I'm really working into <laughs> something like it's actually working. Cause you know, like being a parent, you don't really know if these things are landing on the children or not. Like, but for her to have that, that moment of saying like, you know, I feel like I can talk to you. I'm like, well, you can. And, and I told her she can always talk to me about anything. And, and I really feel that way. And I told her I'll try not to get upset. I can't always promise I won't get upset because I'm a human. But, and yeah, for so from the way I grew up, I try to just flip it a little bit where I want her to play an active part in her life, you know, more of an active part in her life um, by just me listening to her instead of her listening to me. What drove the perspective of, like, what was it that you were always irrational? Why did, why was that perspective out there? Like, that had to have been tough. I mean, I, I, you know, I can't say exactly what thing, anything or whatever, but yeah, I, I don't know. You know, not any one particular thing. It just might be 
you know, the process of how you look at something or, you know, how do you think through and which is still like people tell me that I have like an abstract way of thinking or I'm a little esoteric at times. But it's funny now that <laughs> we feel that, man, we're, we're there. Yeah. Too. We're with you. Yeah. Which is funny now that it's a, a, I previously worked at Google and like once I got to Google, people start telling me that I was I always knew you were smart. I always knew that you were thinking well. And it's like, bro, relax. Two weeks ago, you told me I was an idiot. I remember that, you know. But yeah, so it's still like that to some extent. And and I can see why, because I don't think like other people, maybe overly thinking sometimes, like where I'm always thinking about concepts, thoughts or whatever, you know, at very random times. A thought just struck me. I think what you're saying plays a lot into like allowing your daughter to ask you why and that comment about them not being a legacy like this, like not imprinting on them, I think is letting them ask why and letting them explain my daughter's imagination is amazing. I'm just like, I don't know where you even know those words from. And like, I think a lot of times we shut it down. Like that's not real. That's whatever. And there is a genius to the child mind that is just abstract. It is different. It is not understandable to the human mind, which has been shoved into all of these contextualized boxes of rules and society and what is and what isn't. And kids have none of that. They're free from it. So like their minds, we probably, you know, that whole 10% of the mind, we probably cultivate that in children by shutting them down. And you said that you felt wrong. Did you feel wrong? Like two plus two is five wrong? Like you were getting the wrong answers or did you as a person at your core feel wrong i mean i guess maybe probably more so as a core as a person you know to have felt wrong you know probably but you know and it wasn't but at the same time too it's just like it, i start to just shrug it off be like oh no like i know what i'm talking about kind of thing you know within reason which kind of just gave me more of a strength in my ability to see my vision like to always look down the road to whatever i'm trying to get to and it's like it, stubborn it built a level of stubbornness you know in me i would say which 100%. There's not any successful person to any means that don't have a little bit of stubbornness in them. So, you know, in a way, like, and I was telling my mother this, that like, I'm grateful for all the things that happened in the past because it helped me be who I am today. Mm-hmm. How did, um, like, there's a, there's a perseverance to your journey that I'm sensing. And when you lived in Detroit, was it referred to as the red zone then, or is that more after you move yeah that's i guess like through high school on up that's when it kind of started flipping because initially the neighborhood was a pretty good really good neighborhood actually yeah and it just you know kind of went downhill right around you know actually right around like when i was about 12 years old how did all that shape you along with this like stubbornness to think differently and still being in it i mean that there's a lot in the dynamic around you, like family, yeah. socially, all of that. Like, how has that played a role in in your existence? And as you said, you know, always trying to get better. Yeah. So I guess how that all played a role was that, um, I'm trying to make sure I say this correctly. So for one, like when the lucky, I was, I was thinking about it um, after I had read a book, one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, I can't remember which one it was, but 
I was like, well, how did I end up so differently from all of my friends that I grew up with in the neighborhood? You know, like it really made me not to say I'm like this amazing, successful person, but it is this difference. <laughs> it is a difference. And one of the particular things, it was luck. Like for one, like where my parents decided to buy the house it was on a corner house on a really busy street. So as the neighborhood went, started to go bad, we were shielded from the other side of the street where it went bad first, you know, because unless your kids are just, unless you're just wilding as a parent, or you're just totally careless that you're not going to let your kid cross a major street. So from that little shield, we couldn't get over there. They couldn't get to us as well. So by the time we got to be about 10 or 11, 12, we were kind of already set in our values to the most part. So I just kind of got lucky in that part. But where the like the differences inside the home kind of stuck with me or built a level of me realizing I was different. For one, all everyone that lived in my house had a different last name than me. So they're all heirs, my mother, my brother, my grandmother. So I mean, well, I guess, yeah, so I'm, my parents divorced. <laughs> Forgot to put that part in there, but so they're divorced. So I always felt a little different because we had different last names. And then to another level, just the physically, they're all very light skinned or lighter uh, black people. So, you know, I always look different and a different last name. And then going outside, oh, Devin, you talk differently. You don't talk like us. You know, then it was like, they just said, I don't think like it. So I always felt I was different. And they just, for me, it became this thing where it's okay to be different because I am who I am. And it just, those kind of things really just helped me in life where it's like, well, of course you're different. Of course not people not thinking like you because you are different. And it just built a, a nice shield around me where I could handle things coming at me all the time where it's okay for me to not be, or you know, it's okay for me not to be like everyone else because well, I've never been like anyone else. So like, you know, why would it change now? Did I answer the question? I don't, I mean, no, I don't think I did. No, <laughs> no, I think, I think you gave strong context and I think it did. At what point did you become okay being different or do you know? I think it's a journey. It's not like I, I solved it all now, you know? So I think it's a continual thing that's still going on to some extent. It's just, you know, some things, it, it's just easier to deal with. Uh, you know, I think somebody was saying, like, if you're into bike riding, you're not, you don't ever feel like you're, it's never getting easier. You're just getting faster, pretty much. You know, and it's kind of like the same thing. Like, I'm just getting better or faster at dealing with these things of feeling different. So I can't say I have it all figured out, you know, which is the, which is funny is the tough thing for my daughter. Cause I see her thinking that, like we gaze a lot out the car window and I know she's, and I said, ask her what she's thinking about. And she say nothing. I used to answer this the same way as a kid. And which means I know that she's thinking about everything, but it's normal. So it doesn't seem like anything. And, and it's really, you know, kind of messed up that, I can't tell her how to solve it because I'm still dealing with that, you know, that same thing too. It's just because it's part of who we are. Dang, that was almost poetic. Like, I think uh, even just having some recognition that she is and just letting her, like not making her, no, I know you're thinking about something. Like, let's talk about, um, like just giving that space to her to, and and then with her knowing that she can talk to you, if something comes up, like she'll bring it to you. So I think that's a kind of a beautiful, there is this, it, it's Rodney, you were talking about it before and just that natural instinct. And I can feel it as a parent, like you're a child. I've got, I've got shit to do, right? Like do what we need to do. And like, I get the inclination to say, 
well, that's just what we do, right? Like I get the inclination to just answer, it's because I said so, which is not something I've ever said to my children because it's, it's a challenge and it takes an immense amount of self-reflection, learning, self-awareness to fight those instincts because that only perpetuates the cycle, right? Like it only perpetuates the, your kids then grow up doing the same thing to their kids. And this is why generally, generationally we are where we are in so much of the family dynamic versus as you, you all put it, kids are people too, which makes me open a question to both y'all. At what age did you actively start treating your children like people and not like whatever they were at that age? Well, we're going to take our pause there. I really hope you're enjoying this soulful conversation with Devin. It really reminds me of a conversation we had, episode 108 with Josh Adam, just the energy of it, the philosophical nature of it. So while we wait for part two, feel free to go check out episode 108, and we'll be back with you in a couple of days.